Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 37 of the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Coates. Uh, and today I brought back an old friend, Hannah Gray, to uh, to catch up. Hannah and I are laughing because we had a full start on this one. I had a phone call interrupt and uh, I gave a person from the old car dealership that I bought my Jeep from a tongue lashing because they're still calling me and they shouldn't be. So this is try number two. Anyway, uh, Hannah's had some cool stuff uh, come up in her career and I wanted to share it all with you guys and make sure that you guys knew about Hannah. So if you aren't familiar with Hannah from her previous appearances, it's been a while. Uh, she's got a very long list. Hang on, there's a long list of stuff here that she does. So she's a, in. She coaches Olympic lifting, powerlifting. Uh, she competes at high levels in both. Uh, you've competed in worlds uh, of what one? Which one of the two or both? Um, Olympic lifting. Olympic lifting, and you've done you've you've competed very high level in powerlifting. Yeah, yeah, at the national level. There you go. And you also uh, do a lot of postpartum and prenatal fitness. Uh, pelvic floor health and cancer exercise specialist as well. And you have certifications and designations in, in virtually all of that. So it's great to have you back. How have you been? Not bad. You know, it's, it's, it's COVID time. So it's been weird, but you know, can't complain. Making the best of it, right? Indeed. Yeah. And you, I mean, now there's that list of specialties, all of which I do not do. I don't coach Olympic lifting or powerlifting. And the other things are certainly definitely outside of my, my area of expertise. But you and I actually have a, a whole bunch of similar career path elements as well. We both work for the same commercial gym chain. And then we both left. And now we're both, you know, own our own businesses as an in, independent contractors at Evolve Strength here in Edmonton. And then we are both really passionate about fitness writing. And I think that's the, the reason why I brought you on here is because you just recently had an article published on the Personal Trainer Development Center, which I know you're pretty excited about, as on imposter syndrome, which is a common issue in our industry. And I guess that plus the, all the invitations to present at conferences that have been happening in the last few years. And I wanted to give a backdrop to people that, you know, you, you've been a personal trainer for 16 years and these things are really only kind of blow it up, what, maybe the last two, three maybe years? Yeah, the last two or three years. Um, leaving the commercial gym was um, was a big piece of that, I think. And that was, you know, even though it was shitty at the time, it really was. And I think for you too, it was the best thing that could have happened. So best thing that could happen. It, it, the same thing happened for me. Uh, this podcast, me and Dean started this podcast, oh God, maybe, you know, several months, maybe half a year after I first went independent. And, and you and I traveled both down to watch Dean Somerset, our friend, and you know he's certainly been a direct mentor of yours and a, and a serious mentor of mine, uh, back in 2017 to the Kansas City Fitness Hub, which I, ref I mentioned that on half the episodes I've ever recorded. But that was a major turning point, I think, in certainly in my career, and I suspect in yours as well. And then I continue to travel to these other events and you know, the, getting to meet a lot of the industry, you know, big, big names and whatnot, I think um, has a big effect on your ambition to to get into the writing space and, and more than just being the, the on the floor trainer. But what I want to do is just throw it at you and any other insights into, you know, the, the keys to creating and embracing these opportunities that have happened in the last few years. And I guess you could also frame some of the stuff in, you know, how would you, what kind of advice would you give to the relatively new trainer who aspires to this stuff? Maybe he's in a little bit of a hurry. <laughs> um, okay, sure. So, um, so I didn't start writing three years ago. I started, I started writing my blog um, the year that I became a trainer. So that started way, way back in like, I think I started my blog in 2006. Um, 
before there was social media and before there was any of that other stuff. Um, and it was, and at the time it was like a weight loss triathlon training journal um, that people started to follow, but it sort of slowly, very, very, very slowly snowballed into what it is now, which is still very small. And, um, you know, a few hundred people click on it at this point, but, um, but it's more for, for my own entertainment and my own, um, my own fulfillment than really anything else. Um, so for, for somebody who's starting out, um, you know, it's taken 16 years for me to get to, to where I am at this point. And, um, you know, I, I talk to, talk to people who are starting out in the industry and, you know, and I also, you know, I, I see, I see trainers arguing on with each other online about how I've been doing this for five years. Well, I've been doing this for 11 months and, you know, they think that they've been doing this for a long time. And it's like, well, no, you're just a baby. I even feel like I just started this. Like I'm just starting to get some traction now. And so I don't, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's some, there's an element of paying your dues for sure. Um, and I know that everybody who goes to school to be a personal trainer wants to like train athletes and train, you know, train the people that are really going to boost up their, um, boost up their profile on social media and stuff. But really you're going to be training a lot of, a lot of general population people and, you know, making a huge difference in their lives at the same time. But, um, but, you know, you're not going to be working with athletes and you're not going to be getting invited to stuff and that kind of thing for, for a while. So be patient and keep your nose to the grindstone. Keep working hard. When you have put in your 10,000 hours, stuff will start to happen. I guess an important part of this stuff, you know, your article being about imposter syndrome is developing. I think for most trainers, the problem is going to be developing the confidence that they have the right to do certain things, to write for certain publications, to start writing at all, to even like have a website and, and a blog and wonder, well, who's even gonna wanna write my stuff? Like you just said, I think writing for yourself is a great place to start. Yeah. And then you get the trainers who are in a rush and wanna do it all right away. So what was the big key to you feeling like you were ready to put yourself out there on a greater, uh, in a greater way? And what are some of the keys you know, relationships, opportunities, things that happened along the way that you put in place that allowed you to have these opportunities? Um, oh, that was a lot of questions. <laughs> no, I do this all the time. Sorry, we can circle back. Oh, that's okay. Um, okay, so I started, like I said, I started writing years and years and years ago. Um, and it's not that I am just getting picked up or I'm just starting to put myself out there. Um, I've, I've applied to stuff and gotten rejected and tried to get published. I don't even know how many times and it hasn't worked. Um, so when I started writing for Performance Menu Journal a couple of years ago, um, it's, it's an Olympic lifting slash CrossFit. It used to be, um, it used to be a, a nutrition journal, but now it's, it's a barbell sports slash nutrition slash everything else. Um, and it's a, it's a really great publication. So if you, if anybody ever wants to check it out, it's worth looking at. Um, there's some really great stuff on there. And uh, anyway, I've been subscribing to that, to that publication for years. And every year they put out a little call saying, we're looking for contributors here's what we're looking for in terms of subject matter, that kind of thing. Um, 
or if you want to pitch something, then you're welcome to. So, you know, everybody's, everybody's, they open it up for people to come in and, uh, and pitch ideas. And every year I pitched ideas to them. And two years ago, I got an email back from the editor saying, I liked all three of your articles or of your article seeds. Um, we want all of them. And I went, Oh my God, what? So that was, that was kind of a turning point. It was like, Oh my God, what people want to read my stuff. So, so that was cool. Um, and that has sort of continued. And, um, and I just feel like, you know, more and more that sort of, led to more people clicking on my blog and that kind of thing. Um, and I'm still, you know, still not doing a lot of writing or as much as I would like to, but, um, but it's, it's picked up some speed a lot in the last year or so. So I think a lot of people have this perception that, um, you know, people who are, they see as writers, and I know a lot of people see me as a writer <clears throat> as being really prolific, doing a lot of stuff. I'm lucky if I get one really good article finished every three weeks, right? I, I'm very merciless with the editing process. So I definitely take my time with these things. And I always encourage people to read books on writing to develop the skill as a writer. And honestly, I think people have two troubles pieces of trouble. One is just getting started and putting the words down because they're scared of ever sharing it. Or they think that it's going to be terrible. Well, guess what? Everybody's first draft is terrible. This is a little secret. They don't tell you unless you read the books on writing, you know, the best writers in the world, the history of the world revised and edited aggressively. The prose just didn't come out just in its perfect form on the first try. It does take a lot of work to refine it and make it just right. And that's time consuming. And then there's the second part is, you know, just, getting into being a really good editor and knowing where to quote murder your darlings it's a book i'm currently reading and it's a famous quote about killing off removing pieces of writing that you fall in love with but just doesn't belong it's too wordy or it's just not the right concept for that particular article and one of the greatest skills you can learn as a as a writer is actually to be a great editor yeah absolutely and I don't know. I mean, I, I write, I set aside time to write stuff every, every single day. Um, and I make sure that I just sit down and, and just spew a whole bunch of stuff down. And, um, and when I'm writing for something, um, yes, you do have to be kind of ruthless about what you're putting in and what you're taking out and that kind of thing. And, but I don't, I don't ever see it as, as a murdering sort of situation because all of that stuff, I, I save it all. And maybe it doesn't fit in this article, but maybe it's going to fit into something else that I write down the road. And so, so I keep it, especially if I think, well, this, this piece is really good. Um, it'll fit somewhere. So that's a piece of the, the, the book, Murder, Murder Your Darlings by it's by Roy Peter Clark. It's, it's a great okay. piece on writing. He actually does give that a specific example. Sometimes you take something out, but it's great for later. And I did something recently where I had a piece that I wanted to include in an article for Generation Iron, one of the new publications I've been writing for. Mm -hmm. And the piece didn't work in the, the example didn't work in the first article, but I used it in the second article that's been submitted and should be published any day now, something along those lines. So absolutely, if you have something that doesn't, doesn't work in a piece, just like you said, you know, it might work somewhere else, or it might be the inspiration or the seed for something else really cool. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of times, uh, another piece of advice you'll see is just sit down and free write or just write whatever's on your mind, even if you don't necessarily have a specific article. And whatever kind of just vomits out, you may come up 
come up with some really great concepts that you can then take into another direction and, and gain something from it. Just getting started is one of the hardest parts for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can stare at that blank screen for forever, but you don't get paid for, for a blank screen. You pay you get paid for, for stuff. Right. Um, and I've never published an article that I haven't hated. <laughs> I, I, I go through it so many times and it goes through so much editing and so much of everything. And then the deadline is there and you have to get it done and it's not perfect, but you've got to send it off. And every time, every time I have hit send on a final draft, I'm like, fuck, you know what? That sucks. <laughs> off it goes. Thank God. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and then I'll, you know, I won't see it for two weeks and then it'll come out and then I'll read it and think, wow, did I write that? Well, that's pretty cool. It's, it's not so bad. But by the time I've looked at it and, you know, picked it apart and gone over it with a fine tooth comb and it's gone through everything, it's, it's the worst thing I've ever seen. I hate it more and more and more until it's just off my desk. So I've, it's so never going to be perfect and it's never going to be ready. And if you wait until it's perfect, you'll never send it. I'm yeah. similar, but slightly different. I hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it until I really like it. I always really like the end drafts that I send off, but I always hate it until I get it just right, that final round of edits. So yeah, if you guys are interested in learning more about writing, obviously you can message either one of us and, and ask us about our writing process. Now, the, the presenting speaking side, that's also something that's been a key part of, you know, certainly a lot of the people you and I respect in the industry are kind of known as presenters and speakers. Uh, that sort of changed a little bit probably this last, 14 months where there's not much of that going on, but it still happens in the virtual realm. So you're still doing presentations, uh, you know, some of these virtual conferences, which we'll get back into in-person stuff. You've been a presenter for, um, you know, mine and Dean and John at Evolve's uh, Evolve Canadian Strength Symposium. I think I mucked up the order of those things, uh, but we'll get back to that. Hopefully, oh, God, I was hoping this year, I don't know, no public announcement, we haven't discussed it, but who knows, maybe it's next year. We'll see, but you'll be in that lineup. So where did the interest arise wanting to be someone who put, puts themselves up on stage in front of everyone to speak and share? Oh, well, um, that's an interesting question because it wasn't something that I really considered too much um, until I started going to these conferences and stuff and started doing some traveling and listening to people talk and thinking, you know, watching people who have been in the, you know, have been in the trenches for less time than I have and have trained less people than I have. And they were up there and I was thinking, why am I not doing that? Why am I not trying harder? <laughs> I need to make a better effort. So, so that's, that's what got me into it and sort of lit a fire under my butt. At one point, there was, there was a turning point at one conference where I thought, I've got more to say about this subject than the person standing up there. And and so I thought, well, I can't just sit here and be mad about it. I just have to put my money, my money where my mouth is and, and start doing that stuff. You just hit on something really critical, right? It's like you're, you stepped into the arena, right? And I think people often misattribute that man in the arena quote. I see people sharing it around for completely bullshit reasons, but it's a very accurate quote. I can't quote it right off the top of my head, but you know, there's no point in sitting there being a critic unless you yourself are willing to put yourself on the line. And it's easy to sit in the audience and say, well, I could do a better job than that. Well, go earn your place onto the stage. And you obviously have. I know you also presented, I think it was virtually by the time it came around, but the uh, NSCA Provincial Clinic here, my friend Jeff Akers uh, event. Yeah. 
good. How are you finding the virtual events compared to the in-person stuff? Oh, well, that's a, that's a, that's a cool topic to, to bring up because um, as a presenter, I've, I've presented online for a, for a bunch of different events at this point. And it's very weird to try and talk to, you know, you can, you can see on the bottom of your little Zoom screen that there's 150 people watching you, but there are no faces and there's no, um, it's very little feedback coming back. And so it's, it's kind of a bizarre way to present because it makes it hard to read the room and it makes it hard to interact effectively, especially if you're trying to watch a chat screen for, um, for questions and that kind of thing. Um, so, so it's tough, but I have also attended tons of virtual events. And I think that's one of the really great silver linings of this whole shutdown is that, um, is that we can, we can talk to people that, that normally wouldn't have been accessible to us. And so I, went, I recently was at, um, at an, an online event that, um, that was led by a physiotherapist that I have followed for my entire career. She's a genius. Um, and I would have had to travel to the States and, you know, paid to stay in a hotel and paid to attend the conference and stuff. And instead, I got to take a course with her with only 10 other people in my living room on Friday nights for, for six weeks or whatever it was. And it was fantastic. And so stuff like that, I mean, the opportunities for, for things like that and to like get some face-to-face -face time with them, with the people that we've, you know, sort of seen as mentors for forever. Um, you know, that, that's a really fantastic opportunity. So, um, so yeah, there, there are pluses and there are minuses, but, um, but I don't think it's been a bad thing. And I think it's opened a lot of doors that, you know, we probably wouldn't have considered otherwise. This concept, I think in terms of about, you know, the kind of career growth we're talking about, and I think of acquiring career capital as fitness professionals. And I think of it in certain categories, right? Uh, one is being a facility owner, like physically owning a gym. Another is being, and a lot of it's long form content. So a, a writer, fitness writer, which you and I fall into that category. Um, podcasting is another aspect of this stuff as well. Um, and there's a handful of uh, being, you know, some people are very successful on YouTube. YouTube can kind of be hit or miss because I don't necessarily respect everybody who's got a big YouTube following, but we do have people like Jeff Nippard or um, Omar Isaf is probably a really good example of someone who's really credible and well-liked, who's primarily in a YouTube space. And I think in order to get on stage to present, you probably have to acquire certain elements of career capital to be able to get up there. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, you definitely do. Um, what, what comes to mind immediately is that I was, um, I was putting together an application to present at a conference um, outside the fitness industry. And the first question was, how many Instagram followers do you have? And if you have less than 5,000, don't even bother. Thank you very much. <laughs> I went, oh, okay. I got to do better at this. Um, because I have a very, I have a pretty small Instagram following at this point, but, uh, but we're working on it. Anyway, um, so that kind of career capital that you're talking about, I mean, you can have, you can have all of the, all the credentials and stuff, but if nobody knows your name, then you're kind of hooped at the same, you know, the other side of that coin is that, you know, you can have 20,000 Instagram followers, but 
maybe it's not because there's anything there, right? I mean, we all know that <laughs> there are so many of those Instagram coaches that have huge followings, but there's, you know, you open up, you know, open up any of their products and stuff and it's fluff or it's snake oil or it's whatever, you know. I'll so. give an example that I've, I've often said to coaches that I mentor or I have conversation with. Have you ever found someone who has great Instagram posts, great media, and you're like excited. Wow, this is really great stuff. And you're like, you go in to see what else they have. And mm -hmm. that's it. There's nothing else. There's no podcast. There's no formal written articles. There's no YouTube channel. There just isn't anything other than social media. And I don't malign anyone who's done really well at social media game to build a great business. But if you, I think if your goal is to build a reputation, do some of these things that we're talking about in the industry, I think social media is a really important tool. I, if anything, I advocate for its growth. I've worked very hard at it the last you know couple of years to make that happen. But it's definitely not good in isolation, I find. Yeah, and I think you really have to think hard about who you're going to be on social media too, because there's a lot, there's a lot to be said for projecting, you know, I mean, everybody, everybody's social media presence is curated and, and you get the best of, you know, whatever, you know, whatever people think their best qualities are. How about that? Um, and so in order to sort of portray that, you know, I'm a real person and I struggle the same as everybody else. Um, at the same time, we don't, want to be the people who are like you know having a rough day and they start to cry and they think oh maybe this is a good time for me to take a selfie and stick it up on Instagram and talk about how courageous and real I am um so um so I think there's there's kind of a a fine line to walk there right because how much of yourself do you share how much do you not share um who who do you who do you want to be on social media right um, I like to think it would, it's easy. I think of someone like The Rock, who I think with certain celebrities, you feel like you're getting an authentic sense of their who they are and their, their values. And I think The Rock permeates that. But then I'm not so sure a lot of other people do. I don't follow a lot of celebrity social media. In fact, I tend to avoid this sort of thing. You kind of get the sense that Robert Downey Jr., the character he plays in Iron Man, is pretty much how he is. You just get that feeling, right? Sort of aloof yep. and whatnot. But yeah, you're right. How the hell do you figure out this balance between not sharing every like like stressful inner moment to put yourself completely on display, but also not be so fucking curated as to create a completely false sense of your reality to your followers? And what I hope yeah. happens is you just do it consistently enough that people who are paying attention, and they're the ones that matter, get a pretty decent sense of your value system, who you are, your integrity, and they stick around because they like you as much, if not more than they like the things that you share. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a level of honesty that has to, has to be there and a level of, you know, relatableness for lack of a better word. Right. Anyone who's going to follow your media is going to find out that you also play, um, you know, you're a musician, right? You and your husband are musicians. I mean, right now, as we're on video, you have swords on the wall behind you. <laughs> Yes, I do. I am in the man cave right now. So there's a blaster. Um, there's a Star Wars blaster on the wall. There is a Star Wars blaster on the wall. Okay, cool. Just like the one Han Solo has in Episode Four, the original Star Wars. Yep. Cool. And uh, and if I turn if I turn this around, we've got all the Star Wars toys. A bow. 
Oh, yeah. What appears to be lightsabers. Uh, There's barbells back there, yeah. too, which is cool. I think those are barbells anyway. Uh, no, there are no barbells in here. This is this is Joel's man cave. So, <laughs> so yeah, so it, none of that. People get it, uh, you know, a bit of a treat, that kind of stuff as well. She's literally got the blaster. That's awesome. <laughs> it works. <laughs> and I think this is becoming more and more of a thing. Like anybody who follows my media knows that I'm a huge fan of Witcher, right? I love it. So it's, I plaster it all over my stuff. I even posted up, there's a new He-Man series coming out this summer on it, like a cartoon one. Uh, oh, really? on, right. And I'm actually laughing because I, I thought about it for a second. I'm like, I'm surprised that like, you know, the, the title He-Man and this imagery got past the woke policing of a lot of stuff that we're seeing now. It's getting Ooh, a little but uh, it appears to be going to be released in its in its you know original sort of style, which is cool. And uh, yeah, I, I like stuff like that. But I, I grew up on Dungeons and Dragons and comic books, and that shit was well. I hid that stuff from that my fucking classmates growing up in school. Whereas now the biggest movies, Lord of the Rings and all the Marvel stuff, are it's literally like this nerd culture stuff. That's the biggest coolest thing ever. Uh, you know, you get guys like Ben Mudge, who uh, is a pal of mine from the industry. He's got 100,000 followers, little blue check mark. I love making fun of people where they got the blue check marks. And Ben, I think he kind of went viral a while back because he had longer hair and he looks like Thor. He's got the muscles, right? And you can go around dressed up like Thor, or the Hulk, and, and now it's cool. Whereas, you know, probably when we were kids growing up, that's, that shit wasn't okay. <laughs> I think... It, with social media, it's just important to, to show some of your authentic interests and stuff too. I mean, I can't be a robot on there. Yeah, no, you can't. And also I'm like, I'm, I'm an old lady who plays a tuba, right? So you can't take yourself too seriously. No, hell no. I gotta have my cat up there all the time. Everybody, Ozzy has his own fan club, right? So there's lots of images of Ozzy on social media. You know what? Your posts about Ozzy are my favorite posts. Which, which is code for she really doesn't really enjoy everything else that I post, but she sticks around for the cat. I, I literally have people who probably could not care less about <laughs> fitness stuff, and they're just there for Ozzy. So let's, uh, let's go some advice. No, it's not just Ozzy. It's, it's your relationship with Ozzy. Um, <laughs> my favorite post that you ever put up was when, when you had to give Ozzy a bath. And I still think about that and laugh. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> giving a cat a bath is not a great experience um if anyone has a cat they know <laughs> let's uh let's go a little deeper into you know just some of the career advice i mean you've been doing this for a really long time and you know 16 years i think a lot of coaches that we've spent time around in gyms probably with the exception of a dean somerset have long moved on to other careers right there's lots yeah. of them. so what kept you in this uh, and what have been some of the keys to, you know, longevity and success in your career? Because I, you know, we've talked in the past, don't have to get too much into it. You actually stepped out away from the old commercial gym before, and you kind of certainly had your earlier career doubts about it, but it's almost like everything's picked up steam as you've gone on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in terms of, of longevity, that's, I, I wanted to dig into this a little bit in my article about imposter syndrome, because especially as as a woman in her forties in the fitness industry, um, there are not very many of us. And I feel like, you know, we, women especially come into this, you know, we come into this area and, you know, we, we maybe stick around for five years, you know, the one, the good ones stick around for a little longer than that maybe, but, um, but also, I mean, we tend to wander away because, you know, because of 
children and family and that kind of thing. Um, this is not an industry for the faint of heart, for sure, especially if you're going to do the self-employment thing. Um, and I think you have to really be passionate about it and really like what you do. So, um, so I've loved every second of, you know, every day that I spend in my job. I'm, <laughs> we haven't been, we haven't been to, to work in two weeks and it's like, it's making me crazy. Um, so I think, you know, you have to really like it and you have to keep stoking the fire. And, you know, I, I was just talking about um, all this, all this extra con continuing education that I've done this year. Um, just because it keeps me interested and it keeps me learning about stuff. And every session that I have done with every client, um, I've learned something. And so, um, so if you ever get to the point where you think, well, I probably know it all. Um, and now I can start, you know, telling people how to live their lives or whatever, you know, I think, I think you're just about done when you get to that point. Or um, I remember having a conversation with one of my coworkers back in the old country at the commercial gym where she said, yeah, I get really bored in a lot of my sessions. And I thought, mm, you're probably in the wrong field then. She'd been doing it for a while at that point. She'd been in, you know, she'd been there for three, four years, but, um, but she was getting bored and, you know, for people that that happens to, it's like, well, maybe it's, maybe it's time to move on. Maybe it's time, time to find something else to do, but I haven't gotten to that point. Uh, you made me think of a conversation I had with Susan Niebergall on a podcast a little while ago and about the, you know, the, the quote, older women in the industry, right? Mm -hmm. and, you know, term older what you want, but Susan is 60, still doing chin ups and ripped and all this sort of crazy, cool stuff. She started out in a serious way in the industry. Certainly any notoriety in her fifties. I think she started coaching. She, it was her second career. She was uh, a pretty sure a teacher, if I'm not mistaken, but Susan's very unique being a six-year-old woman in the industry uh, with a very big Instagram following, like many times over the size of mine or yours, very well liked, mm -hmm. respected, but she's looking around. There's no one else like her, but it's because, yeah. you know, the, I think especially what we would call the, the credible evidence-based side of the industry certainly anything that borrows on strength and conditioning has always been a men's playground for a really long time. And so you're probably one of the earliest to really get in and then stay in the industry. As you mentioned, other people kind of get out of it. So it's going to be, you know, the people right now who are in their early forties who are going to age into becoming 50 and 60 year old strength coaches as women, where I just don't think past generations really had much of that. I don't think the, the field was particularly friendly or inviting to, to women, especially with, when it came to professional sports teams. That was sort of not a thing. Like I can think of Lee Brandon being the only example. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's definitely a thing. Um, and I feel like as, you know, <laughs> I feel like the industry is really cruel to women. Um, and I've had this conversation a bunch of times in the last week or so where um, we're, we're really, we're almost, we're the, we're our image. And as soon as that starts to dry up and as soon as you start to not look as good as you did, maybe, um, or you, you know, as soon as you don't have that to go on, um, you start to lose your credibility. And so, um, and so I think that, the industry is, is not nice to women that way. 
Um, it doesn't, and that doesn't happen to men. As as men age, their their sort of career currency increases, and you know they become more and more credible. Where where women, as you know, as we get older and older, and we maybe you know signs of age start to show, um, it's not. <laughs> we don't uh, we don't get treated as as the resource that we might you know we might be. That makes sense. I mean, shit, even just look at how I describe Susan and it's meant as this compliment to how incredible Susan is. But at the same time, on the other side of it, I mentioned how she's ripped and still doing chin-ups. You know, those play right into the fact that she's maintaining what you otherwise said a lot of women are unable to maintain. And that could inadvertently sound like it's an endorsement of that's part of why she's credible, right? So you have to think about exactly, that. I have right? to think about that when I say that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think one of the uh, one thing I also also feel is sort of a thing too is women. I think on average, more than men, can get drawn away from strength and conditioning into other realms within fitness. Be it maybe some of the softer coaching skills, maybe it's life coaching, certainly nutrition. You often see women tend to go off into that space. Um, and also, women can get easily caught up in the image based quote, influencer style stuff that you see on, on Instagram as well. So I think there's a lot of places women may self-select or find it easier to gain following and reach faster than to get in the traditional, you know, head down and earn your place in the strength and conditioning world, especially when it comes to sports teams. So I suppose there's that element as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, this is not a friendly industry to women. And I feel like, you know, even, even in, where I'm at, I look around and I think there, there are no female role models for me, right? Or very few, there are not very many of them. And, you know, and if I look around and, you know, at my peer group, there are fewer and fewer women. So I have a question for you, because you know, I support your stuff aggressively. Mm -hmm. um, to what degree do you embrace the role as becoming that role model to a generation of female trainers? Um, well, I would like to be able to pick up that role a lot. Um, you know, I, I feel a lot of imposter syndrome there with that, but, um, but I feel like, you know, I've been doing this for a long time and I have, you know, I'm getting to where I have a lot to offer people. So, um, so I would love to be able to pick up, sort of pick up that mantle and, and maybe be that role model for, for the women coming into the industry now. Well, especially for my female listeners uh, who just heard that, I really actually hope you guys go follow Hannah and I'd implore you to send Hannah a message, right? You know, I've known Hannah a really long time and she's a, you know, you're, you're really, you're, you're someone whose integrity and value system uh, I believe in because you know that I put you in positions where, you know, I, I've had to trust your ability to do things like with the conference, right? So, you know, I've stamped my name of my brand of approval on you when I've uh, put you in front of other people for things. So, you know what I think. So when I say that to anyone listening, I hope you guys will, will literally go and message Hannah and just connect, just follow and connect. And then we'll see what comes out of that. Because I, I think you're right. We don't necessarily have as many good role models in that space as we should see. And then for everybody else, well, it becomes taking this nuanced conversation we've just had, thinking about it a little bit and going, well, why am I not, why am I only following 
or plugging into the individuals that are more like me. And guys, yeah, I'm talking to you. And, you know, and I, this is not some like, like far left leaning social stuff. I think this is just an honest discussion of how can you support good people? And this has, and you and I talked off air about this. This has nothing to do with the fact that we're talking about women. This has everything to do with the fact that we're talking about someone who's qualified and credible. But these ceilings and traditional ways of the industry could be, they don't change themselves either. So, you know, I, I always try to be alert to great people, um, first and foremost, because of their merits. And then second, you know, for people who don't get the same opportunity that they probably deserve. Yeah, fair. I think it's a good way to look at it. Um, let's see, what else? Do we, was there anything else that was sort of burning a hole in your soul that you wanted to share or talk about? <laughs> burning a hole in my soul. Oh, my goodness. Um, no, I don't have any any burning holes right now. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> that one. Um, any yeah, other comments right now? Any other sort of career wisdoms for anybody who like we've danced around a lot of this stuff? But career wisdoms for anybody who wants to get more in into getting their name, their reputation out there. Obviously, when it comes to writing or media or presenting. Um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I'm. I'm just starting to pick up some steam with this. Um, I would say, you know, got to be patient and you got to put yourself out there over and over and over again and get ready to be rejected and kicked in the face over and over and over again, because, um, because that's what has had to happen to get to this place. But once you have all those experiences, um, that becomes, you know, you're, you're the sum of your life experiences, right? And and you end up having lots of insight and gaining all sorts of knowledge about how things work and that kind of thing. So, um, you know, just be patient, keep putting yourself out there and, you know, eventually some stuff will happen. And, and I think that's it. You know, you're a relentless pursuer of education uh, and you put yourself in a position where when opportunities arose for you, you were able to take advantage of them. I think that's just advice in general for every walk of life, right? You can't expect mm -hmm. to look into things. Don't look to, to get lucky and one post is somehow going to go viral and you're going to have, or some celebrity is going to share something of yours and all of a sudden you're going to have a hundred thousand followers. Um, I actually hope that never happens to any of you because if you're not prepared to deal with that kind of nonsense, you'll be exposed. That's true imposter syndrome right there. By the way, go read uh, Hannah's article on the Personal Training Development Center. What's the title? Because I know it's about imposter syndrome. What's the specific title off the top of your head? I don't, you know, I don't memorize the titles of the stuff I don't know. either, so. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know what the title is. Oh, no. Hell, I think it was just how to deal with imposter syndrome, even if you have a ton of certifications or something. I'm actually going to look it up because it's, it's on your Facebook, right? You shared it on your yeah. Facebook? Yeah. Let's see. How to deal with imposter syndrome. Quotes or brackets, even if you have a ton of certifications, which you do. Cool. So yeah, I hope everybody goes and reads that. And honestly, imposter syndrome is a topic that keeps coming up on the podcast because I think it's so prevalent and everybody kind of goes through it. And I hope anyone listening also can hear everything that you're saying and maybe they could relate to it a little bit. Uh, you know, whatever fear they have for putting themselves out there, be it their social media, be starting writing or sharing the writing that you're working on or getting started on a podcast or a YouTube channel, right? Like for me, the idea of YouTube, I'm like, oh crap, just one more thing. I probably should do it. I'm like, nah, like I already have too much on my plate as it is anyway. 
So, but the podcast is fun. And obviously I really enjoy writing. Writing for me is the thing that I take the greatest amount of pride in. So I, I love it. Cool. Uh, yeah. It was, yeah. And, and as far as the imposter thing goes, um, I mean, just use it for something constructive, right? I mean, we all have these feelings of insecurity and that kind of thing. And, you know, we all wonder if, you know, if we get, if we get presented with some client that we're, we're not really sure if we're qualified for this, that's, that's what actually makes you qualified. Because if, if you're ever in a situation and you think I've got this a hundred percent, I don't have anything to learn about. Um, you're full of shit. And anybody who doesn't have imposter syndrome is full of it or is like just a raging narcissist and <laughs> need to run away from those people. So I, I don't think it's a bad thing. Yeah. I've often said that when someone tells me that they experience imposter syndrome, that makes me trust them more. And I think you said something very similar in, in your article, because it's like that person cares. That is a sign to me that you care, that you care about being a great coach and actually helping people. Yeah. And, and there are so many people that we follow who are polished. They look confident. Their media is fantastic. They have large followings. I assure you, most of them have been, if not continue to be afflicted with imposter syndrome. Okay. You're just seeing the polish, go back to their old media and then dig into that. And Jordan Syatt, I always mention this, always openly talks about his early YouTube stuff. You know, even Gary Vaynerchuk, who he used to train, we'll talk about his earliest wine library stuff. It's not very good. And these guys, Gary Vaynerchuk is a media expert. You know, he, he has a big company built around teaching this stuff to other people. So guess what? Your imposter syndrome doesn't mean you're unqualified. Exactly. So get started. And if you have questions, please reach out to me. And like I said, I want you guys following and messaging Hannah too. And I know you'll get back to those people and help them a bit. Well, I'm gonna, I enjoyed this. I hope everybody enjoyed this, like this loose cut out two friends catching up sort of thing. Life's been really busy this last little bit, just despite the most recent round of lockdowns here in Alberta is everywhere. A lot of you guys, like the world is opening back up again. Nope. We're still in the grips of our gyms being closed, which you know, we're not even going to get into that whole thing. It's, it's complex and, you know, every jurisdiction is different, but um, unfortunately our industry kind of got thrown under the bus a little bit and, and, and not really for any reason. We, we didn't have any outbreaks here. We didn't have any problems in our gyms. You know, we, we tried hard and we did it well. And it was just, I think, fodder for the, the machinations of things that are far grander than our, uh, than our industry can control. So we're just doing the best we can. And I hope anybody who's listening, who's still in Alberta, you guys are hanging on too. So if you need anything, shoot me a message. Hannah, it's always a pleasure to have you on. Where can people find you? Um, I'm Gray Area Strength on Instagram, Hannah Gray on Facebook. Um, GrayAreaStrength.com is my website. And that I think about covers it. And it's gray with an A, not an E. Gray with an A. That's right. Little known fact, there are very, very few people with the last name Gray with an E. Gray with an E is the color. Gray with an A is an A. Ah, isn't it probably popularized because of Gray's Anatomy? Isn't her name with an E on the show? Is it? I don't know. Let's find out. You know, this is going to be a useless factoid. Hold on. <laughs> this is this is how uh, how up on on TV I am. Gray with an E, and it's it's named after well the fictitious character lead. Uh, her surname is Gray. So there you go. They popularized the wrong spelling. Oh, fuckers. Oh, well. This right. is, 
this is who I can blame. <laughs> That's actually probably why it probably is when you think about it. Probably, yeah. And it, for everybody listening, obviously, uh, you know, if you're finding this for the first time, uh, you know, through Hannah's media, Hannah's been a guest before. So go back and check out her old episodes. You get to hear my old co-host, Dean Guido, rambling incoherently as Dean loves to do. He's busy being a dad now. And, uh, and you know, some of the other people close to us, uh, Dean Somerset's been a, cat, a past guest numerous times. And, you know, he's shared the same trajectory of that old company. And then he's uh, a contractor under Evolve Strength as well, except Dean's list of career accompl- uh, accomplishments dwarfs like just destroys ours but again he's someone that i've certainly looked up to as a as an inspiration and you know try to follow some of the footsteps that's a very very tall order to to do but uh, either way he's he's a super super awesome person anyway thanks again for listening i appreciate it if you still haven't given me a five-star review on itunes i'd love that I, i don't ask very often but don't just do it while you're driving please if you're listening while you're driving Anyway, thanks and have a great day. And I will be hopefully back next week. And if I'm on schedule, it will be James Krieger. And uh, thanks again.